Good God, you are so good. You are so good. Go ahead and have a seat, friends. Psalm nine, Psalm nine, verse one and two says, "I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart, and I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you, and I will sing praise to your name, O Most High." Today, we're going to hear about some of God's marvelous works. This is one of the ways that we praise him, by remembering what he's done, by declaring what he's done, what, we've, what we know his word says he's done, what we know his word says he promises, and what we've seen him do here. Well, we're going to see a testimony we're going to of Marlene's testimony, an amazing, amazing work that God did. And immediately after her testimony, Marlene's going to come up. So go ahead, Kent, and get that story of Marlene, who from birth had been crippled with cerebral palsy. She never realized that God wanted to heal her until the day she cried out to him in desperation. And then she saw the tremendous transforming power of God working dramatically in her life. At an age when other children were enjoying life's innocent moments, Marlene Kleps had to face its cruelest tortures. Weighing less than two pounds at birth, she developed cerebral palsy, which left her crippled. In a public school, this wasn't easy. Not very many playmates, I mean, because what could you go do, or you know, who could you go spend the night with? This wasn't the only tragedy wrenching young Marlene. When she was a year old, her parents died in a motorcycle accident. She was reared by great-grandparents and later by foster parents. But at 12 years of age, when some friends brought her to a youth rally, she committed her life to God. Young Marlene felt she'd finally found the father she'd always needed. I mean, I was his, and he was my dad, and I, that was it, forever. I just thought that if I was born with cerebral palsy, I must be born with it because God created me that way. I didn't realize he wanted people healed, you know, I didn't realize he wanted good things for everyone, you know. So at first I just thought, well, there's got to be a reason for it, you know, he's smarter than I am. Just push it, you got to push your pencil, try it. Okay, good. During her teenage years, Marlene suffered numerous spasms caused by muscular surgery. These attacks were sometimes so violent, they left her attendants with broken bones. After one severe spasm, Marlene was left almost totally paralyzed. Her vision, along with the rest of her condition, grew progressively worse. She didn't have really any control of her head or her neck. Her head was sort of tipped back, and her, her lips and her tongue were kind of swollen and drooling. You know, just very, in a very tough state to be in. As a last resort, in December of 1980, Marlene was taken from her home in Missouri to the world's finest hospital, the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Marlene was a spastic quadriplegic and pretty much dependent on other people to provide for her needs. She needed someone to help her get in and out of bed, in and out of her wheelchair, for toileting, helping her to go to the bathroom. Uh, pretty much dependent to the point where she really didn't do a lot physically herself. Nancy White's husband was Glenn White, Marlene's recreational therapist and a paraplegic. He witnessed Marlene's extensive treatment and worsening condition. 
reviewing, you know, team notes in team meetings, uh, at different points, uh, the staff were uh, thinking that there wasn't really a lot of hope for recovery. January 5th, 1981. Spasticity has progressed. Spasms infrequent, but can last for months. Still will not move her four extremities. March 25th. Still has no voluntary finger movements. Marlene has been here for over two months. Finances from her estate are practically depleted at this patient time. patient will be discharged in approximately two weeks period of time unless there has been significant progress. She will be dismissed to a nursing home in Missouri. Being sent to a nursing home was Marlene's greatest fear. And as best I could talk, I just yelled at him and I just said, God, stop. In other words, just get out of here. But he didn't. And I, you could just feel his love and his presence and it came all around me and it was really, really warm. And he showed me a vision that he was going to heal me. It showed me on the inside of a church. The church had light-colored woodwork. The doorknob on the church was a triangular glass-colored doorknob. And then it showed me in a rust-colored striped shirt and people, you know, gathered around me praying for me. And there was a man in a pinstripe suit. He showed me out riding a bike on beautiful green grass and it said March 29th in just great big bold letters. And that was three weeks away. But three weeks passed and nothing happened. Marlene thought she would be healed in Missouri, but on March 28th, the day before the date given in her vision, she found herself still in Rochester, still degenerating still knowing no churches in the area. She pleaded with God and felt he told her, of all things, to have the nurse look in the yellow pages under churches her. the next morning. Her. And I just, you know, kept saying, yellow church? pages only, oh, and, you know, like that, over and over, and she went and got them and uh, started flipping through them. And um, it glowed off the page. It said, Open Bible, Scott Emerson, and a phone number. My wife honestly thought the person calling was drunk because the speech was so slurred. And, and uh, she handed the phone to me, and it was very difficult to understand Marlene. She started asking me lots of questions about what the church believed of what we believed. I started answering them and she asked about healing. Did we believe in healing? Do we pray for the sick? Uh, have we ever seen a miracle? Uh, things along that line. And I answered several minutes worth of questions. And she said, okay, you're the one. You can come see me. And I thought, I can come see you. So a skeptical Scott Emerson answered the call. He arrived at the hospital in a pinstripe suit. Marlene told him he looked identical to the man praying for her in the vision. She described how the pews were arranged, uh, the colors within the church. Uh, there were some doors in the back, swinging doors that entered into the uh, sanctuary. She said there's uh, windows like diamonds in them, and there, there were. She described everything in great detail, never having been in the church. But when somebody begins telling you things like that, you take note of it. Emerson then took Marlene to his church. She had to be strapped in because her body was jerking so wildly. 
she was all scrunched up. And I thought to myself, my, I didn't realize that, that it was going to be somebody this bad. And I thought to myself, Lord, this is going to have to be you. Emerson had never had a miracle take place in his church. I've never really prayed this way before. But we're going to believe that the Lord's going to heal you from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. They gathered around me to pray, and he said, I don't know how to pray. But he asked God to heal me from the top of my head to the tips of my toes. And then they asked if I wanted to stand up on faith. So would you like to stand by faith? And immediately upon lifting her out of the chair, we began to feel strength coming into her legs. And she took a hold of the back of the pew, and she just left. And my feet hit the floor, and I felt the floor for the first time in my life. Her knees and her toes pointed together. Everything was pointed in. But with each step that she took, they started to straighten out. But as her toes and her knees straightened out and she got stronger and stronger, she took a few steps on her own and then was literally running around the church. Then she started into going on a little bit of a dog trot around the church. And finally, she began praising the Lord and going around. And I tell you, you talk about the glory of the Lord. We just shouted. The presence of the Lord was so real. Real enough for another miracle that night for the small congregation of seven. I would say her glasses were close to half an inch thick. And my eyes got really warm, and God told me to take off the glasses, Susan. When I did, my vision was perfect. And give him the glory, great things he hath done. All of a sudden, she put her glasses aside. I don't need these anymore. And you could understand her. Nobody. I was there. Nobody could tell me that was anything but the Lord. After church, Marlene wanted to do something she'd never been able to do. Hold and eat an ice cream cone. At the ice cream parlor, they saw her therapist. I was surprised because one of those people I saw was Marlene, and she wasn't being, uh, wasn't using a wheelchair. She was walking, and uh, uh, I just couldn't believe it. Marlene's return to the hospital caused quite a reaction. The time uh, from when she had left to when she came back was probably a two-hour period at max, and it was quite a dramatic difference to see her return walking. The Mayo doctors needed only to discharge Marlene to her home in Missouri. From the hospital records, you returned to the rehabilitation unit that evening walking, something you'd never done since your admission to the unit. And when I saw you back at the clinic some weeks later, you'd improved even more, and all signs of previous abnormality were gone. You were able to walk perfectly normal, and your eyesight had improved so much that you did not need to wear spectacles. We were all very thrilled and happy with the outcome of your condition. Marlene's life has been normal now for 15 years. She's attended Missouri Wesleyan College and traveled through the Midwest sharing her amazing story. It's much easier to do things now like arranging flowers in her floral shop. And oh yes, she enjoys riding her bike through the countryside just as she'd seen in her vision years before.
I was in a desperate situation, and you know, there was no place else to go but to Jesus Christ with my life. And um, here I am. You know, I, I'm healed. I'm normal. There's nothing that I can't do. I mean, I, that everyone else does. I've always believed in the power of God, and I've read the Bible stories, but we were seeing a Bible story in action. Something right out of the book of Acts, like the, the lame man that Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the Bible says a man went walking and leaping and praising God. We were seeing that happen, not something 2,000 years ago, but something that day, 1981. God is good. This place is electric with the presence of God. There's something about this place. Obviously, it's Jesus, but it's real. And it's tangible. I have no idea how many times I've been blessed to speak here, but I don't take any of them for granted. And I want to do it forever. God is so good. He is so good. He is so good. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your manifest presence. We thank you for the effects of your presence in this place. We thank you for lives that are changed and destinies that are launched and, and families that are restored because of the goodness of God. We thank you that you're so real and so alive that, that we don't even have words to express your goodness that even come close, but somehow we get to feel it in a way that, that people, there are people on this earth that have given their whole lives to be able to see or to feel or to experience what we get to experience. I mean, they've given their whole lives for this, just hoping for a glimpse of something that we get to touch and feel because he's so good. He's so amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Come with me with some scriptures, and then we'll see how much test of, you know, how, how we go. I don't really know how we're going to go. I thought I knew, but I don't know now. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Jesus. Obviously, I even got out the wrong notes, but here we go. <laughs> Thank you, Father. You're amazing. All of us have experiences. All of us have testimonies. Every single one of us has testimonies. Because our lives are about a journey in connecting with Him. Where He gets to glean the treasure that He started to begin with. You know, that He put together. Scripture says that He knew us before the foundation of the earth. So if there's anybody alive or anybody that's been alive on the earth, God had such a divine appointment and a, a divine plan for them.
Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. I'm going to start out in a really odd place, but I want to connect it with something that's going to make it hopefully make sense. At least it makes sense to me. If we're willing and obedient, we'll eat the good of the land. And I know that that verse sounds like, I didn't come here to find out about being obedient. But what I want to talk to you about is his obedience is different than what we think. It's not a list of tasks and rules. It's it's about a relationship that is so real that it changes our life value. It changes the value of our life on the earth. And it says if we're willing and obedient, we'll eat the good of the land. What's that mean to me? It means I don't want to just hear somebody else's story. And I I realize I have a story and you have a story. But I don't want to just hear about somebody else's story. I want to be eating it. Does that make sense? I will literally, the good of the land will be my nutrition. But more importantly, it will be my steady diet. Now, I realize that it's been Father's Day recently. And that's probably why my mind has been here for a few weeks. But... God's revealed something to me that I was already living in some measure, but I didn't understand how to explain it. Now, maybe I'm the only one that experiences things that you don't know how to explain, but most of my life has been like that. (laughs) I mean, I'll, I'll know something is true, but I won't even know how to tell somebody what's true in a way that makes sense. You see, when I got born again, And I know I came here to talk to you about my healing. But when I got born again, it changed the value of my life. I wasn't healed yet. I was 11 years old. I had CP. I didn't look like everybody else. I didn't walk like everybody else. I didn't talk like everybody else. And I... My brother and I were raised by our great-grandparents, so we were based, you know, we were considered orphaned. I'm not saying that we didn't have anybody. I'm just saying it wasn't normal. And when Jesus came into my life, it changed my earthly value. And I knew it. I don't mean I said it that night. But I can tell you that as days went on, I knew it. I, when Jesus came into my life, I wasn't lonely anymore. Do you, have you ever thought about this? He never says, huh. It doesn't matter what kind of speech impediment you have. Even if you're talking verbally, he never says, huh? He always knows what you're thinking and what you're saying. And and it's so real. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind. So he's talking about strengthening your thoughts, right? Be sober. In other words, this is not something you do casually. This is something that you, you know, you, you have intent in doing, right? You, you, be, be sober. And rest your hope. So your hope has a place of rest. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. So tonight we're going to hear about Jesus, and the more we, and I don't mean just a casual like, 
of the story we've already heard. I mean the Jesus that is so real that it changes our identity to what we're connected with. The more we have revealed to us about Jesus, the more we have a grace that we didn't have before. Everything we get through him is through grace. Is that true? Now, I I need to say this and then I'm going to back up to this verse. So I'm going to take a long way around to get there. For years, the body of Christ has thought of healing as a reward. And you can say in your mind, oh, we know it's not a reward, we know it's a gift. But I can prove to you how people in the body think it's a reward. Because because I got healed of something that seems drastic in the natural, they assume that I'm really close to God. I love Jesus with all of me, with every single part of me. But we're acting like that we have to have all of our spiritual ducks in a row in order to receive healing. But you see, healing is not a reward. It's, it's a gift, and it comes by grace. Everything that came through the cross, I can't, be, I can't work good enough to get to heaven. I can't work good enough to be a Christian, but I can receive what Jesus did through the cross and instantly become redeemed and be a Christian. That's how healing works. Now, how do I get it? I get it by grace. Do I not? Now, let's go back to this verse. And it literally tells us that that we're to rest our hope. Where Where are we to put our hope? Not on... Not in what we do. Our hope is in the grace that he gives us, right? So it's not on our merit, but it's on his. It's totally on his. The more that's revealed to us what he's done for us, the more grace that we have for the hope to be rested in. That makes sense, right? But it says the next verse, verse 14, starts with the word as. As obedient children. What's this mean? It literally says... For us to gird up our minds, gird up the, make, strengthen your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation. When something is revealed to you, it wasn't there before. You didn't have understanding. Revelation keeps coming, does it not? I said this last night, I'll probably say it forever. The angels are still being revealed to about the goodness and holiness of our God because every time they look at him, they go, Revelation is still coming. Our God is that, you know, he's inexhaustible. You can't exhaust him. So the more that it's revealed to us what Jesus Christ did to us through grace, we walk this out how? As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. So he's not saying that before you were an awful, horrible sinner. He's saying you just didn't have understanding. And you didn't understand what Jesus did. So there wasn't any way to walk that portion out as obedient children. And as we walk it out as obedient children, then it comes together with Romans 8 where we are literally joint heirs with Christ because He's our Father. (laughs) Think about this. Isn't this amazing? 
So wouldn't I want to be willing and obedient? Because he cares for me. Because he cares. He's made provision. He, he, he's so complete. He thought of everything. I mean, he, I, it, I marvel at it all the time. I, I, there's probably not a week goes by that I don't marvel at how, how Scripture upon Scripture upon Scripture connects with this one and connects with that one and how God Almighty thought of everything. Now, in his thinking of everything, this is also profound to me. He trusted the Word is so alive and so real, but he trusted human beings with the Word. I mean, I would have went, there it is. Get their hands off of it. They'll goof it up. But he, he so wants relationship with us. You see, this whole thing is about relationship. And the reason he heals, by the way, and we're going to get to this, is because he wants relationship with us. The reason we're so blessed is he wants relationship with us. He doesn't just want relationship with the ones that need healing. He wants relationship with everyone and how he identifies himself so everyone would know who he is. Is he heals so that we can all be in awe of him and be in a position with him that we wouldn't have been in otherwise. Romans chapter 15 verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So it's all joy and all peace. There isn't a peace that he can't give us through this. There isn't a joy that he can't give us through this. Because may the God of hope give you all, think about it, and peace in believing. Now I need you to get that. You see, when we stop believing, and we all have stopped at points. There's, you know, we've all had times and seasons where we were really strong in believing, and then we backed off, all of us. But it, you know what happens when we stop believing? We get cranky. <laughs> it's true. People start saying, why do I always get, get behind drivers like that? Because we get cranky. But now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Why? That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Now I need you to get this. It says now. It doesn't say next week. It doesn't say next year. It doesn't say in the next season of your life. It's talking about right now. Did you know that Scripture says now faith is? We quote it all the time that faith is the substance of things hoped for. But Scripture actually says now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Think about that. Now, John chapter 4. I want to take you to a very familiar place for me in recent times. Verse 33. What's happening here? Jesus is at the well, and there's this woman at the well. And you all remember the story, right? 
she's asking, he's asking this lady for water. And she literally says to him, if you, you know, if you being a Jew, if you knew, why would you be asking me, a Samaritan, for water? And Jesus says to her, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. And then she gets all surly, because she doesn't really know who she's with yet. And she says, well, you don't even have anything to, to get it with. I mean, you know, he didn't have a container. Then Jesus says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And listen to what he says. I just love it. He says, truth, you're telling me a fact that's right. You've had five, but the one you're with is not your husband. And she says, she literally thinks that Jesus has just told her her whole life story. I mean, that, and she believes that he's the one. I mean, he's really the one. Why? Because he was able to come to her with such mercy in the middle of where she was. He was gleaning the treasure out of her, and he was loving the whole field to get it. He was loving every single part of her, every single day of her journey. He was loving all of it so he could glean the treasure out of her. That's God. But all of this is happening. And the apostles come back from, from getting food. And, I mean, that's what they went away for. But now, Jesus isn't wanting to eat. He says, I don't need to eat. I'm not hungry. And the disciples are saying to one another, did anyone feed him? Did somebody else bring him food? Verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do his will of him that sent me. As an obedient child, we're to live just like Jesus lived. We're to have revelation of Jesus and who he is. And by his grace, by the grace he brings us, we're to live even in the same placement that Jesus lived in, in honoring the Father. Does that make sense? As obedient children, and we will literally glean the good of the land. What we will eat will be in the same place, right next to the person that's there that doesn't recognize it. They're not, they're not more awful than we are. They just don't, rec don't they, they haven't had relationships, so they don't see the same thing. Doesn't mean they don't have the same treasure inside them that we have in us. It's that, they have the same treasure. They were created before the foundation of the earth. And God has a destiny and a plan for them. But look what Jesus says. Let's finish it. He says, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus knew without human beings, God Almighty's work couldn't be finished. And we're to live as joint heirs, right? Now, what's the very first sentence he says after that for us to be able to finish the work that, that God has left for us Christians to do? Verse 35, very first command out of this, to be like Jesus and to finish the work and have the food be, do not say that there's still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes 
Look at the fields. They're already ready for harvest. He just had a surly woman in front of him that's saying, you don't even have anything to draw from. But he so trusted the plan of God and the provision that God gives. Oh, Jesus. That he didn't look at how it looked in the natural at all on whether he was going to glean or not. And if we look in the natural, we're looking at the wrong thing. It's true, isn't it? Do you remember what David said? Psalms 27. He said, I would have lost heart, verse 13. I would have fainted, I would have quit, depending on the translation. King James says fainted. New King James says lost heart. If I hadn't have believed, so if he's believing, he's full of joy and he's full of peace. And he has hope. He said, I would have fainted, I would have quit, I would have stopped if I hadn't have believed to see, to experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. If I wouldn't have believed that I was going to experience it here on earth, I would have quit. Thank you, Jesus. Do not say it's four months. Now faith is. Faith has never been about next Monday. Faith has never been. That makes sense. Now we can plan for an event ahead of us. But if we think something in the natural has to take place in order for God to move, we're looking in the wrong place. He's done everything. He's already done it. He's already completed it. He's already finished it. He, he, he's so complete. Thank you, Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Very familiar area of Scripture. Oh, Jesus. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. It's not, it, mammon, it's not, it's not possible to serve two things at once. That's, that's what he's saying. It's just not a human thing that can be done. But look at the next verse, because we talk about, and for, you know, we, this verse gets used a lot about, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom. First of all, he's king there, is he not? So seek that, seek that authority, seek that way in which, which it works. That's what he's talking about. And along with seeking that, his righteousness. In other words, we literally change who we are. I said this last night, I'll say it all over. You see, the enemy has no new tricks. He's not creating. He, he has no new tricks. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But even more importantly with this, he's also new every morning. He's the same and he's new. He, he's so big, he never changes his position, but his anointing keeps growing we truly do have something better than they had. We have something greater. I mean, that's what Scripture says. We have it because of who He is, because He just keeps coming and coming and coming. But you know what isn't the same? You and I. In other words, what used to trip us up in past seasons of our life, 
doesn't trip us up anymore. I spoke this last night. I'm going to recite it here and then we'll go on. But you see, it says that Abraham grew in faith. He grew in faith. Even though he goofed up, he grew in faith. It meant as time went on, he had more understanding of his God. He understood who God was more when he was 98 than he did when he was 97. And he trusted God's word more at 98 than he trusted at 97. And out of that, I'll also say this, because as your faith grows, if it's true faith, our character changes. I mean, that's even what it said about him. Our character changes. So he was a a man with more value on the earth at 98 than he was 97 because even who he was grew closer to his father God. Does that make sense? Aye, that's for us. We should be growing in the things of God. We we should literally be growing in those things. So let's go on with Matthew. We can't serve two masters. And he literally tells us, verse 25 starts with the word, therefore. I would have never put this together, but one day, I don't know, it just caught my eye. You see, worrying is serving two masters. Don't serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or about your body, what you shall put put, put on. Is your life, is it not more than food in your body, more than clothing? Look, now let's go down to verse 33. Or 31, excuse me. 31. Here's the second time. Therefore, do not worry what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or what you shall wear. For after these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you have need of all these things. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34, third time. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. What did you just say? He said, if, 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 I, if I'm worrying, he's not saying, oh, Marlene, you awful sinner. He's saying, Marlene, I'm your father. I know what you have need of before you even ask. And when you worry, you're thinking just like the person down the street or just like the next door neighbor that doesn't have relationship with me yet. You're thinking just like them. Holy God. So how do we put him first? Don't worry. I know, I got that look. (laughs) I'll tell you what worry is. Now, this is just what he told me. I'm not telling you at all that this is a scripture, okay? So don't, like, take this to the bank. Just take it that that's what I think. I think worry is the counterfeit to intercession. Because we can worry while we do dishes. We can worry while we drive the car. 
We can worry while we make the bed. We can pray while we make the bed. We can intercede and connect with Him while we drive the car. Ah, I think that's the difference between our thought life and the next door neighbor that's a good person. That, that, I mean, most of our neighbors, even if they don't know Jesus, we love them silly. I mean, we love their kids. We, we know what they do. We, we know if something's not right because the garage door's up. I mean, you know, it's true. They're, they're good people. But the difference is, what do they think about? Because the relationship with Jesus. He's so amazing and he's so good. Holy God. Psalms 46, I know you know this, but God is our refuge and our strength. He's our very present help in the time of trouble. Now, why am I bringing that up? Because when you get in a moment that you just feel like, eh, I'm going to panic, know that he's very present there. He does vary. His presence does vary. And just because I doesn't, I, I've not recognized it doesn't mean it's not there. Think about it. Old Testament. That's why Jacob went in and started tithing, saying he would give 10%. Because he got up, he woke up in the morning and realized that God had been present and he hadn't even known it. We're like that too, aren't we? Psalms 46, just on down. Verse 10. Says to be still, to stop being anxious. Why should we not worry? Stop being anxious. Doesn't mean to stop pacing, like I can't seem to help myself. And know and experience I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. Stop being anxious. And you'll have, you'll have a knowing. You'll have an experience with me that you wouldn't have had otherwise. There isn't any way to get to it otherwise. And I will be exalted in every nation on the earth. He's talking about how we live here on the earth in our daily living. And our experiences. You mean, Marlene, this presence that's in this room tonight, we could have it at home in our kitchen? Yes. And when we stop being anxious and quit, uh, well, this didn't happen tonight. I wonder if this could happen. Or, or I heard of so-and-so. You know, all these things we do instead of truly just connecting on his goodness and who he is and what he's done. Holy God. Yes, we can have experiences with him that change our lives. Every single part of it. Mark chapter 10. I'm still talking to you about faith. Not to throw away your confidence. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 actually says, Do not throw away your confidence because it has great recompense of reward. Now that verse is actually told in scriptures that is talking about the church. And it's talking about not throwing your confidence away 
in the church. Like you might have had confidence with the group of people you were with in, in the church, but something's happened and, and, and you don't have as much confidence as you had. I mean, that's what it's talking about. And it says, don't throw it away. There's value in it. Now that confidence might be less now than it was then, but he said, don't throw it away. There's great reward in it. Now I want to talk to you about Mark chapter 10 and Barnabas because I want you to realize the story here has something in it where God really and truly does care about how we come together and how we connect as people and how we support each other. See, it says here that Jesus, he, he, he's literally, he, he's just coming into the town. He's coming into Jericho. And, and now as he's going out. He's leaving, okay? He's went through, he's leaving. There's a great multitude. There's a whole bunch of people following him as he goes through town and he's going out. And blind Barnabas, he's there begging by the roadside. In other words, he's got his position where he always asks for money. And somehow he realizes that it's Jesus that's going by. It's not just any old person that might be able to give him a few cents. It's Jesus. And blind Barnabas, it said, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. He began to yell, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knew, he knew enough to know if he could connect with that mercy, it would change his eyesight. It doesn't even say he'd had any other experiences. He just knew if he could connect. And the crowd, they're, 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 they're not with him. They're just trying to silence him. And as they're trying to silence him, I mean, they're actually, you know, they're telling him to be quiet and he yells even more to get over them, I'm sure, you know, because he, he, it's Jesus. It's not just a passerby, it's Jesus. And he cries all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, if you think that we can do this walk in the kingdom by yourself, we're wrong. Verse 49 says that Jesus stood still. And I never got the point of this for years and years and years and years. So much so that I actually remember saying to Jesus several times in my head, Maybe verbally, but, you know, it was just part of my communication. Well, it's really nice you stood still, Jesus, but couldn't you have went to him? Wouldn't that have been a lot easier? Now, am I the only one that thinks those stupid things? Please tell me no. <laughs> I did. I thought that. What? I mean, why didn't you just go over to him? And I literally would ask, what's, what's the point of this? There's got to be a point. But I was looking everywhere but where I should have been looking. And it says, Jesus stood still and he commanded. In other words, he didn't quietly say, could you? He commanded him to be called. He commanded the crowd that's going, shh, call him. That's what they're saying, right? And instead they say to him, Barnabas, He's calling you. The truth of the matter was, he wasn't calling him. He was telling them, call him. He wasn't saying, if you'd like to. He was saying, call him. Why? 
Because sometimes we throw away our confidence in people. We throw away our confidence in a season. We throw away our our confidence in what we're going through at the moment because it just doesn't seem strong enough to get what we needed. But Jesus needed them to come together and support Barnabas and to get him there. He didn't need just Barnabas to come. He needed them to come and be part of it, of getting him there. Now, I don't know if this is real or this is just my thought. But I know this. It says that Barnabas threw off his apron. It means he threw away all of his right to financial support. Because that's what the apron meant. It was like like a tag or, or to say, yes, this guy is legally blind and the only way he gets income is to beg because they didn't have welfare. And so he gave away all of his rights to welfare and went to Jesus. I don't know, but it could be that he had the support of everybody with him and it gave him confidence. I don't know. But you know what happened? And Barnabas was healed and he started following Jesus. And I bet that crowd never shushed anybody again. I bet they started realizing that we were there. We were there. We saw blind Barnabas. We were in there. We were there as Jesus was going through town and that crowd was there. I'm sure they had a story to tell that they never would have had otherwise. We not only were there, we, were help, we, we helped to say, come on, come on, come on. They were part of the story. Does that make sense? You see, I think there's a reality there for all of us. And we're not to throw away our confidence. Galatians 5, 6 says that faith only works through love. It might only be a little bit of faith but it will always work in the middle of love. It only takes the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, but it always works in the middle of love. It always works. It always works. You see, God has a plan. Psalms 103, everybody's going to know this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, every single ounce that's what's within me, Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And for, who, who forgets all. Think about this. He literally forgives every single thing. And he heals every single thing. How do we honor that word? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That means if I take every single amount of what I got and do it, I'm I'm saying to him, I agree. I know that you restore every single thing. I know you forgive every single thing and you heal every single thing. That's faith. That's what faith is like. That's what faith is like. 
And that's why we can come and we can come up to somebody and we might not even know him, but we know Jesus is, is so real that he changes futures and identities. Because we've connected with something that changes futures and identities. We've connected with it. Does that make sense? You see, I believe that that's what Peter knew. Acts chapter 10, Peter actually says, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. I always thought it meant God loves us all the same. Well, he does, but that's not even what that scripture is talking about. Because it says that every nation, which means every person in every nation that fears, and I'm going to use the word reverences because I think it fits our speech today better, but every person that reverences God, does that make sense? It says that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and he went around doing good, healing all that was oppressed of the devil. Now what did Peter figure out? Peter figured out that our God is so amazing and he can't vary. He can't give us part of himself. And what he figured out, Peter figured this out, was the same anointing that Jesus got, he was going to get. Peter knew he had goofed up. Peter knew that he had denied Christ. But it wasn't about how many times he goofed up and how many times he got it right. It was about who his God was. And because of who his God was and his connection with that God, it changed his value on the earth. It changed what happened to people that were around him. And Acts chapter 5 says that Peter's shadow healed them all, that they brought people out on beds and couches that his shadow might overshadow them because his shadow healed them all. Now what does that mean? It means that there was people brought out on beds and mats that wanted to be prayed for. There were people brought out on beds and mats that didn't even want prayer because if you're on a bed and mat, you don't always get to choose where they put you. There were people that were brought out that didn't believe in healing and people that were brought out that did believe in healing. But Peter's shadow healed them Oh, it doesn't say they were born again, but they were healed. Now, Marlene, explain this. <laughs> you see, we don't have to be born again to be healed. We have to be born again to go to heaven. We have to be born again to be a Christian. We don't have to be born again to be healed. He says, freely, you have received. Freely, give. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. For freely, you have received. Freely, give. Now, what does that mean? I really, if there's a point I always want, freely, without restriction, without restraint. That literally means freely you have received. If, if we have received, it's not freely received because you already have. Freely you have received, freely give. If I'm giving in the same way that it has already been given to me, freely means without restriction, without restraint. That means from the same source it came from, the strength that it came from is the strength we get it. 
It means that when somebody goes to pray for me, or you, or anyone else, I can't size you up to decide if you're ready for healing or not. Because if I do that, first of all, it's not scriptural, but I'm thinking that healing is a reward for righteous living. Healing's not a reward. Healing's a gift. And he literally tells us the reason he heals, Matthew 9, 6, so all men may know that he has power on the earth to forgive sin. So he forgives all of our iniquities and heals all of our diseases. So do you believe that there's not a sin that he's not going to forgive somebody of if they ask for forgiveness? So there's not a healing that he's going to hold back from us Because the reason he heals is so all men may know that he has power on the earth to forgive sin. You see, we in the body of Christ, because we've made our... I don't have the right word. I'm going to use the word doctrine, but I'm not sure that's exactly right. But we've made our doctrine out of our experience. And because we've made our doctrine out of our experience, we know that it's God's will to forgive us, but we don't always know if it's God's will to heal us today. But everything that comes through the cross, today is the day of. There isn't any difference in, does that make sense? He's so good. He's so complete. And he's so real. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you right now. You see, we've made, I want you to see the difference. We've made our doctrine, because I can't come up with a better word, so we're just going to use that until someday I'll be driving down the road and get a better word. (laughs) We've made our doctrine to be our experience. Does that make sense? But in Matthew chapter 9, does he not only say the reason he heals is so all men may know that he has power on the earth to forgive sin, but he says this, as he has said to the lame man that they brought down through the roof, son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And he knew their thoughts that they were thinking. And and for years I thought, well, they're thinking different than me and didn't even look at it. No, 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 I was thinking just like them. And I was healed. What was I thinking? And he said this. He said, why do you think evil in your hearts? And he used the word evil, but I got it. It means earthly. So why do you think earthly in your hearts? And how do we think earthly? If you think it easier to say thy sins be forgiven than to say arise and walk, we're thinking earthly. We're not thinking like our heavenly father thinks. Our Heavenly Father does not think it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven than to say arise and walk. The truth of the matter is, I'm just going to be real out with it and you can do what you want with me. He thinks that it's easier for somebody to get healed than it is to be born again. Now how do I know that? 
because Peter's shadow healed them all and that some of them were totally asleep and had nothing to do with it. It healed every single one of them because Peter perceived he had a revelation of Jesus. Acts chapter 10, Jesus had been to the cross and already came back and was now at the right hand of the Father, right? Acts chapter 10, the very same dispensation that we're living in right now. And Peter had a revelation. He perceived, he had a knowing that he was gaining through experiences, that he was getting it with one or more of his senses. That's how we perceive something. And what he was perceiving was that God is no respecter of persons. And the same authority that Jesus had on the earth, he was going to have on the earth as he reverenced his holy God. As he ended up, as he, as he walked out as obedient children, he was going to live a life that was different than somebody else that wasn't walking that same walk. Not because God didn't want it for him. Not because God didn't have provision for him. Not because of any of those things, but because of his connection that he got through grace. So we want to pray for you. We want to pray for every single one of you, truthfully. We'll pray for anyone that will let us. And in that process, before we pray, and I'm going to have everybody stand. If you can stand, I want you to stand right now. I just want you to, I want people to to be engaged in this. But if you need to say to me, and you need to say to the people in this room... I know this Jesus, or I at least know about this Jesus that you're talking about. But you said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. He's God that forgives all of our iniquities and heals all of our diseases. I didn't get to it tonight, but Scripture literally tells us after the lame man, the, the, the men that were healed of leprosy, that the kingdom of God does not come by observation. In other words, we need to engage with it. So God, I know you're real. And I'm choosing right now that all that was within me All that I have. You see, it even says of the apostles, by the way, in in Acts, uh, you know, we wonder how they lived and want to live like them and we want to see the same things they said. But it says they ministered to the Lord. They came together and they ministered to Him. They didn't come just to get. So just for a second, and some of you, there's going to be a couple people, I, I, I could be wrong, but I really feel this. There's a couple people here tonight that has not surrendered your life to the Lord yet. And just as we all start to lift our hands, if you're one of those people and you want to say, I want to give my life to the Lord, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now. Is there anybody here that wants to say, I haven't done this before, but I want to give my life to the Lord. Is there anybody here? Anybody here? Everybody, you can look around. We're not going to... We're not going to point them out. Now, I ask all of us, let's raise our hands just for a minute. Father, Father, I give you myself. I give you my my energy. I give you my my thoughts. I I don't want to serve two masters. 
I choose. I choose. Teach me. I don't want to worry. I don't want to have any other God before you. I want you to be king in my life on the earth to change other people's lives. I give you myself, my identity. I thank you for placing value. And gleaning treasure. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to put my microphone down. I'm going to move the stand. We're going to get people together and we're going to pray. I'll have Cindy come up and give you organizational.